Hello you guys, it's Katie and welcome back to another episode of Crime and Crochet. This week we're going to be covering the episode of The Boy in the Box, which is a case that is over six decades old and is still unsolved. So with that, let's just get straight into this. In February of 1957, a young boy was found in a cardboard box. This box was originally a JCPenney bassinet box, and he was found in this box naked and had been beaten prior to his death, as well as there was fresh cuts on his face. So the young man who originally found him didn't report him to the police because he feared that his animal traps would be confiscated. But several days later, a student discovered the boy's body and reported it to the police. His body was found in the woods in Fox Chase, Philadelphia. And whenever he was reported to the police, They obviously removed the box and started an investigation, so he was believed to be between the ages of three and six, but it was kind of hard for them to tell due to the malnourishment, and he had a bunch of scars, some around his chest, his chin, his face, and there was even a scar that was around his ankle that looked like it may have been from a surgical procedure. So they had all of these little clues to hopefully help figure out who this boy was. So a couple other things. He had his nails freshly trimmed before his death. And he was wrapped in a blanket when he was found. Had baked beans in his stomach. And his hair had been cut rather badly, but it was cut recently. They even found long strands of hair with his body and he had been immersed in water shortly before his death because his feet and hands were still wrinkly you know like when your hands get wrinkly from being in the water for too long I assume he was probably in a bathtub or something for a long period of time and I guess your hands or feet stay like that if you die afterward which is interesting to know So near this box, they also found a tan scarf, yellow flannel shirt, and black shoes. But these black shoes did not fit the boy that was found. But in my mind, that doesn't necessarily mean he wasn't wearing them. He could have been wearing somebody else's shoes or just not had any shoes that fit him. And they also did try to fingerprint him in hopes to find his identity But of course, this case is still unsolved. They still don't know who he is. So obviously that did not work. So of course, with this case being so unusual, this gained a lot of media attention. And there was even 400,000 flyers printed, hundreds of police recruitments that were in the area searching for clues all kinds of stuff, and nothing really came up. Besides the fact that they did find a cap that was near the crime scene, and this was a blue hat with a leather strap, and it was found to have been made 
by a shop in South Philadelphia, and the owner remembered the man who bought it and said he was between 26 and 30, but he was never located. As the years went by, facial recognitions of the boy were recreated, and one of them was even made of his potential father, but no one ever came forward to claim him. So that's basically all the information on him being found, kind of what they know. So now we're going to get into some theories of maybe who he was. So a few years after the discovery of the boy, a employee from the medical examiner's office in Philadelphia went to the police with a theory and he had actually been at an estate sale for a foster home that was located a mile and a half away from Fox Chase where the boy was found and noticed that there was a JCPenney bassinet on the property. And while that is something that is a common item, he had also seen some blankets that were pretty similar to the ones that the boy was wrapped in on a clothesline at the home. So his theory was that the child lived at the foster home and was a son of an unwed woman whose stepfather owned the facility. And whether the boy was killed on accident or not, he obviously ended up in this box, was his theory, but no connection was ever formally made by the police. So this is just a theory which I think is a pretty good one based off of this story, but who knows since the police never actually formally said this was true or not. In February of 2002, a woman named Martha came forward to the police and told them that her mother had bought the boy in 1957 and his name was Jonathan. She claimed that he had been sexually and physically abused during the two and a half years that he lived with the family, but eventually it came to a head over dinner one evening. So Jonathan had vomited the baked beans that were put in front of him and in a rage Martha claimed her mother had beaten the boy and slammed his head into a door until he was unconscious. She said that her mother then gave him a bath where he died and to conceal the boy's identity she cut his long hair and forced Martha to help her dispose of the body in the Fox Chase area. While Martha and her mother were putting his body in the car, a man stopped and asked if they needed help with the heavy box. While Martha stood in front of their license plate, her mother told the man that they were fine and he drove off. And a confidential account was given by a male witness in 1957 that allegedly verifies Martha's story. But later on, the police did try to verify Martha's story with people who lived next door to them at the time. But nobody ever recalled seeing a young boy at the property. And they told police that Martha had a history 
of mental illness, which was verified by medical reports, so the investigation into the family went no further. So with new advancements in forensic technology starting to happen, his body was exhumed in 1998, and they did extract some DNA from one of his teeth, and then the body was moved to a different cemetery where a plot was actually donated for him. In 2008, a forensic artist by the name of Frank Bender came up with a new theory, and he basically had the idea that maybe this boy was raised as a girl, so he had long hair and plucked eyebrows, that kind of thing, and maybe even wore dresses out in public, that kind of stuff. So if that was the case, then maybe that's why nobody was identifying him because he actually looked like a girl out in public and maybe that's why the hair was cut and the fingernails were trimmed freshly and all of that when the body was found to make it look like a young boy instead of a girl even if this boy was raised as a girl. So, either way, he came up with a sketch of what he may have looked like as a girl instead, and nothing really came of that. But then in 2016, there were two writers who contacted investigators and requested DNA to be compared to a person in Memphis, Tennessee, because the family believed that that boy may have been a relative of theirs, but in December of 2017, the results showed there was no connection between that. So that is pretty much everything that has happened up until now. The only other thing that I can tell y'all is that his grave is always surrounded by flowers and stuffed animals, and there's always people visiting that have heard the story, and he has received over 3,000 flower donations. So, you know, everybody still cares. And his gravestone even says America's unknown child. You know, it's really sweet. So I do hope this case gets solved at some point because it's one of those things that, like, somebody has to know something. But at this point, it may be too late because... This was a very long time ago. But anyway, that is all for this case. So now let's get into the crochet pattern for this week. This week's crochet pattern is the Halloween cardigan pattern, which is by Autumn Olive Crochet on Instagram and on Etsy. So this cardigan is an oversized fit has optional buttons, optional pockets, eight different color work mini graphics, including cats, bats, ghost skulls, spiders, candy corns, pumpkins, and jack-o'-lanterns. And there will also be seasonal graphics that you can add that will be added to the pattern throughout the year. So this is a super cute pattern that I think is really well done. So if you guys are interested in checking that out, again, that is 
Autumn Olive Crochet on Instagram and Etsy. And you can also just head over to at Crime and Crochet on Instagram, where I always leave a link and post a picture of the pattern that I have featured in the episode, as well as pictures and my sources from the case I talked about in the episode. But that is it for now, and I hope you all have enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Crime and Crochet. I hope you have enjoyed. If you did, the best way you can help me out is leaving a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And if you guys want to check out more information, such as the crochet pattern I shouted out in this episode, the case, my sources, and more information on the podcast, you can check out at Crime and Crochet on Instagram. And if you want some more crime and crochet related content, you can also check out the Reddit page that I started for the podcast, r slash crime and crochet. With that, I hope you guys will tune in to the next episode next Saturday of Crime and Crochet. And make sure that you are staying safe out there so you don't become one of these victims that we talk about each week. And with that, goodbye y'all.